Each nervous system is shaped differently for how it wants to come back in repair and with whom and about what specific rupture. So the curiosity again is what does that nervous system need in this moment to come back into repair, to come back into connection? And it's important that we keep asking that question, right? Because it changes. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast that breaks down interpersonal science into practical and understandable tidbits. And as you listen, I can just imagine little light bulbs of insight appearing above your head. You're going to be surprised and touched at what you learn about yourself as you get more accurate and in-depth view of your mind and your heart and as you figure out those close to you. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey everybody, Sue Marriott here with Therapist Uncensored, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to have a master clinician on with us today to help us translate polyvagal theory to real life. And by real life, we mean in the therapy room, but also just in people that are listening for themselves or personal reasons. These ideas can be translated at home with close others. So who is Deb Dana? She is a clinician and consultant. She enjoys working with trauma. She has a program that she's developed. It's a training series called the Rhythm of Regulation. And what she does with that is she travels internationally. And I'll be probably kicking off with wanting to hear some of where you've gone and anything you've learned from that, because I bet each training you probably pick up something new. But very importantly, she also has two books. One was co-authored with Dr. Porges, Clinical Applications of the Polyvagal Theory, The Emergence of Polyinformed Therapies. And can you tell us about the book that you just published? So yes, polyvagal theory in therapy, engaging the rhythm of regulation is my work. It came out of my creating workshops and then people asking in workshops, so what next? What do I do now? And I decided, well, let me put it in in some sort of format that can get out to, to the larger public. So that is the result of that. And what I love about it is that I got to, you know, explain polyvagal theory in, in user-friendly language in the first section, but then really dive into my mapping process and a lot of experiential exercises that really exercise your social engagement system, exercise the vagal break, and really help shape the nervous system towards safety and connection. Mm, That's beautiful. And I know you've worked directly with Dr. Porges. Many of our audience will be familiar with him. He was on recently, and the little turkey even pointed out that I was having a hot flash and that I was on menopause. So he has a good sense of humor. (laughs) Um, But how lucky of you to get to work directly with him. Can you just tie your work together? Because what I love about what you've done is really done that what next and the extension but we might back have have a step back and talk about your relationship with Dr. Porges. Sure, yeah. So so Steve is a is a dear friend and, and collaborator and, and we met after I read his book, which will give you a 
bit of a look into my brain and who I am. I'm a neuroscience geek, so I read his book and loved it and got in touch with him. I was working with a group here in Maine, I live in Maine, um, who one of our missions was to bring presenters and speakers to Maine to create a, a community here of people who were neuroscience informed. And so Steve very graciously said he and um, Sue, his wife, would love to come and both present. She's discovered the role of oxytocin. So he does his polyvagal theory and she does oxytocin. And it's a delightful combination. They came and, and um, spent a bit of time here with us. And, and I tease Steve now. I say, you know, I think my nervous system found a kindred spirit in your nervous system when we met. And he was delighted that I was already playing around with bringing his theory into the therapy room. And um, it's kind of been, you know, together since then, it's it's been a really lovely collaboration. And for those of, of you who've listened to Steve, you know what a brilliant scientist he is and also what a, a humble person he is. And, and I really like to, to state that out loud because it's such a rare combination in, in someone as brilliant as Steve is. So he's, he's welcoming and friendly and he really lives his theory. He lives the social engagement system. So yeah. So that led me to, you know, off on this exploration of how to really help clinicians and clients understand the nervous system. And I think my goal is not only to have people really understanding the nervous system, but becoming active operators of their own system. You know, so my work is an approach to therapy. It informs models of therapy. I think it's a missing piece for for many people in really understanding this really magical thing just happened in therapy, whether I'm the therapist and it happened or I'm the client and it happened, but I don't quite know what that is. So polyvagal theory really puts the scientific explanation underneath why what we're um, doing is working. And for me, that, that became a very important piece for me as a therapist so I could replicate I was doing, but also for my clients so that they could be out there in the world dealing with dysregulation and moments of distress and understanding how their nervous system could support them and moving back into safety and connection. Well, you know, I think you and I may be a little bit kindred spirits as well, because I was I helped a group form in here in Austin, Texas, that has been going now for 15 years studying attachment and neuroscience. So we have a really large community here that just eats up this material. And so it's really, I'm so happy to hear about it elsewhere, because I've looked around, actually. And even when I was with the Global Associations for Interpersonal Neurobiology, you know, there was a national, I mean, an international program, and it was really hard to find the local group that connected so that is really incredible. Now, one of the things we're going to focus on today is the application. But before we do that, there'll be some concepts that we want to really get out there. And one of my favorite things, and I'm not sure if you said this or Dr. Porges or who, but like this notion of story following state. I really love it. I almost, you know, want to have it out there. So maybe that would be a way of picking up story follows state. What does that mean? Yes, and I was actually just writing a piece this morning about that. I think it's so important that we humans are are meaning-making beings. And what happens in our biology is that our nervous system starts having a response to what is um, going on in the world. 
And it does this through a process called neuroception. So we might as well put neuroception in here right now as well. Neuroception is the way the nervous system is looking inside your body, outside in the environment, in between your system and another system, another person's system, for cues of safety and danger. And as those cues come in, the nervous system enacts a response. It moves us either into safety and connection or into one of our survival responses. And as that information from the nervous system gets fed up to the brain, the brain then tries to make sense of what's happening by making up a story. And so that's why we really understand that the story comes out of the state. So the easy way that we teach it is story follows state. And many of us don't like to think that. We, we no, absolutely not. <laughs> it is that person that is upsetting me. <laughs> yes. And, and so, you know, it, it takes a little shift there. It, it, you know, it's really, and I guess, you know, I'd like to say this is a paradigm shift. Polyvagal informed approach to therapy is a paradigm shift. It's asking us to really look at the biology that is bringing a story alive. It's asking us to look at a, a, a client or our own behaviors and say, biologically, the emergent properties of this state are bringing these beliefs, these behaviors, these feelings mm -hmm. to life. So it's going underneath the story. So we're, we're always looking under the story to what's the state. You know, so if we think about that clinically, clients come to us with a need. They have an identified problem that they want to work on. And I always say, oh, that, this is what you came to therapy with, right? But this is not where we're going to work. We're going to set this over here because we're going to work here. Because once we can regulate your nervous system, this is going to look different and you're going to know how to engage with this. And then we can work with this differently. But really, set this over here because we're going inside to um, explore your nervous system first and, and help shape your nervous system into patterns of connection. Because most of our clients, and indeed many of us, have nervous systems that were shaped from our experience to be wary of connection, to move into protection, to one of those survival responses. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And it is a change in therapy. It's it's changed how I've practiced therapy for sure in a really good way. But I just think of all the models that the focus is on insight. Even the idea of sort of narrating what's happening still important because that's still going to provide this integration, but that basically anything that's an explanation or insight or oh an understanding tends to be cognitive, right? That's a thought. That's not what you're describing as neuroception. So sometimes I try, I tell people if you're speaking in paragraphs, <laughs> that's okay. But <laughs> we're hearing what your brain is generating. I do love, love story and story is so important. And, and the last piece of the approach I teach is restorying, you know, so we do get to restory. However, in the beginning, I tell clients, you know, I, we're going to listen to the story of your nervous system. Rather than the story that's coming out of your brain, we're going to listen to the story of your nervous system and see, you know, how that's informing your daily experience. And now how does that connect and relate to the traditional attachment styles and what many people are familiar with, those different categories or spectra? We talk about it on a spectrum. On a spectrum, sure, the, the continuum of, yes. So we talked about neuroception. 
we're going to talk about for a moment about hierarchy and co-regulation so that we can move into attachment. So co-regulation is a biological imperative, meaning that we don't survive without it. We come into the world wired for connection, and we have that need throughout our life. In the very beginning, how we are met begins to inform our attachment style, right? So, you know, as Steve says, your autonomic state is a preamble to attachment. So your nervous system sets the stage for attachment. And then we have these three states that our nervous system um, moves us through, the safety and connection, which is ventral vagal. And, And if we're met by a nervous system that is in that ventral vagal state of safety and connection, that welcoming, that, that compassion, that ease of back and forth, we're likely going to have a secure attachment style, you know, because we've been met by somebody with that and, and it's been nurtured in that way. And then we have these two survival states. We have the sympathetic nervous system, which is a system of mobilization. We think of it as fight and flight, but it really is, you know, more than that, it's mobilized energy in service of survival. And then the other, which is the dorsal vagal collapse, disconnect, immobilizing state, also in service of survival. But if you're met with a nervous system that is living in either sympathetic or dorsal, your nervous system is going to feel the danger of being in connection with a nervous system that's in a survival state. And so, you know, your nervous system is then going to move into one of those other attachment styles. I often think that if my person who is my caregiver in early life is sympathetically mobilized in that very active way, I've often observed my clients will have that sort of anxious attachment style because they're looking over there to try and figure out how do I regulate that nervous system. And so what I know about myself comes through what I know from that other system. And then if I'm met with a dorsal vagal system that's disconnected, um, isn't really present, I find that avoidant attachment style is often what results because I can't depend on the other person. They're not really present for me, so I have to depend on myself, which is that avoidant style. And then, of course, if you're in relationship with a nervous system that moves between dorsal and sympathetic, you know, that present, not present, that mobilized disconnect, I think you're often going to then have that corresponding disorganized attachment style because there just was no safety anywhere, but, you know, inside, outside, or between, there was no safety. And that, I think, leads to more for a disorganized style. So see if that fits with your thoughts about attachment. Well, absolutely. Intuitively, they map onto each other so nicely, but I wasn't quite sure from an empirical, you know what I mean, from the attachment research, if they found that. And I think that we are more. But one of the interesting things that I was noticing is folks that have a more vigilant, we call it kind of the red side, kind of more activated system. And, you know, again, run it up the line, no, no blame. But interesting to me was that sometimes it would actually flip so that the intrusiveness was met with defense. And they ended up with children that were a little bit more I call it like zipped up. And then the reverse being true, that kids would try to reach the folks that were avoidant, which um, is a little, it's a nuance of a difference. But I think the biggest thing is just a real validation that the neuroscience does map the attachment literature roughly. More than one person has said to me, you know, why do we need the neuroscience if we understand attachment? Isn't it the same thing? 
And I have said more than once, well, why do we need attachment if we have the neuroscience? (laughs) And of course, neither of those things are true. They blend and they go right together. And they inform each other. They impact each other. Yeah, yeah, because I do like understanding my clients, you know, attachment style. And, you know, the question that I'm always looking with my clients is, how did your nervous system get shaped? Not specifically what happened, although the details of what happened are interesting and also important at some point. But the real question is, what was your nervous system's response to what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really where we're, where we're working with when we work through a polyvagal lens. Like, how did your nervous system end up the way it is right now? How are these habitual response patterns created and how do they work in your life now? Because, you know, we know that experience shapes the nervous system and ongoing experience reshapes the nervous system. So that's the hopefulness of polyvagal theory is that it's the ongoing experience that is either continuing those habitual survival patterns or offering the possibility for moving into connection and creating new ones. Oh, isn't it lovely? Like, you know, I always say neuroplasticity works both ways. <laughs> we better work on our story so we're not continuing to deepen the... <laughs> because, the, you know, the, the nervous system, like the brain, makes no moral meaning of anything, right? The nervous system simply enacts a response in service of survival. It doesn't assign motivation. We humans assign motivation and moral meaning to beliefs, behaviors to to stories, but the nervous system is simply acting to keep us as safe as we can. Yeah. Right. As it perceives that we need to be, you know, you've said uh, the mind narrates what the nervous system knows. So that's kind of capturing what you're, what you're saying there. Um, And again, I think it's so exciting because it's so non-shaming. Like you said, it takes out the moral and it changes the feeling of the inquiry because now I'm interested in myself as a young person, not that I'm an idiot adult or that whatever the negative talk is. Right. You know, you think you talk about shame, which, which shuts everything down. Shame just stops everything. But when you can reduce shame or you can say that, you know, this thing that's happening to you right now, this, this story or this behavior, you know, it's your biology at work. You know, then shame reduces. And when shame reduces, curiosity arises, right? And curiosity is really our best friend. Yeah, and compassion. Compassion down the road. I I say if I can get curiosity, I'm I'm, I'm there. And then (laughs) compassion will come. But boy, curiosity is that glimmer of, oh, now we can work, right? Uh Uh-huh, right. Just be a neutral scientist and observe. (laughs) We we don't have to have the heart on board quite yet, but it's getting there, though. It does get there, though. Absolutely. It opens the door for for the heart to come in, too. And it's interesting, especially working with, with couples or with parents and kids who you know, one person is dysregulated, if you can help the other kind of look over there and say, see, there's a nervous system that's dysregulated right now, right? It's not that he or she doesn't want to be in connection with you. It's that their biology is not supporting that right now. And it becomes a very different experience. Absolutely. And what's nice is that it's, you don't have to know 500 things about the brain or anything like that. It's this universal, just a few things universally. So that's handy. <laughs> it makes that's, it great. Yeah, I, I like to say that polyvagal informed therapy is simple, not easy. And people ask me all the time, how do you know what state? your client is in, I said, you ask them, right? So, you know, the first thing I do is I create a map, 
you know, we create an autonomic map. And then the essential question becomes, where are you on your map right now? Mm-hmm. Right? Because first of all, I want you to get good at knowing where you are. I want you to get good at tuning into your nervous system because I think that is something many of us don't know how to do. And secondly, you're the expert on your nervous system. And you're going to tell me right where you are. And then we're going to know what do we do. Because if you're in a sympathetic survival response, we have to figure out how do we discharge some of that energy safely so that you can come into connection. But if you're in a dorsal vagal collapse, there's no energy to discharge. We have to gently bring some energy on board so that you can come into connection. And that's what I love about this so much. If you can identify where you are, it informs exactly what to do. Right. Now, one of the things I really liked about what you did is, is not only did you do the sort of the ladder down, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you also just even made it even more simple, which was, are you kind of headed down or are Mm -hmm. you in a ventral vagal state that Mm -hmm. reinforces itself? Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind describing that, that might be either way, if you're somebody who's familiar with this or not, this is such a fantastic, it's almost like, which road are you on, (laughs) right? Right, right. Yeah, so so the, the ladder is the simple way of just really placing yourself. Ventral vagal is at the top of the ladder. Sympathetic, you move down to the middle and dorsal is at the bottom. And it makes, you know, intuitive sense. People look at it and go, oh, that makes sense. The trick then is not just to place yourself where you are right now, but to be able to track where am I going? Am I maintaining my safety and social engagement? Or am I beginning to head out of that into sympathetic because remember this is a hierarchy we know where we're going when we leave ventral social connection we head to sympathetic mobilization and if that doesn't um, solve the problem that our nervous system has tried to work with then we're going to head to dorsal vagal disconnect and so you know steve's brilliant work gives us this predictable hierarchy Mm -hmm. so you know in the beginning we're really tracking across time And in a session with a client, once we've mapped their first ladder, we understand the system, I stop frequently and say, so where are you now? And where are you now? Because there's an ongoing flow of state shifting that happens all the time. Sometimes a big shift happens and we see that, we feel it, we know it. But often it's a nuance that's happening. So Mm -hmm. I might be feeling just a little bit of unease. So I'm heading a bit towards sympathetic, but my foot's still firmly planted in in ventral, you know, and as a person running my own system here, I need to be able to track that. As a clinician, I want to track that with my client and many, many models track, right? The thing that, again, that I think is different about a polyvagal informed approach is that I'm helping my client track and notice and name. That's the essential skill you notice and name. So where are you right now? And name it. And let's turn towards it for just a moment and listen in. What is it trying to tell us? And then we come back. So that ability to know where I'm headed is key. You know? And then once I get to sympathetic, sympathetic is that place in the middle where there are two ways to go. There are two pathways. Right? I can either come back to ventral, which is my hope, and what I hope to help my clients do, or we're going to plunge into dorsal. Ventral is where we, it's our social engagement system is active and online. I can connect both inside to my own system and I can connect out here in the world to other people. I'm, I'm engaged. I'm, I can offer support. I can reach out for support. It's the place where health growth and restoration live. So the emergent properties of ventral are an experience of well-being. 
right? Whereas the emergent properties of sympathetic are danger, anxiety, frustration, anger, disconnection, survival. And the emergent properties of dorsal are collapse, some flavor of numbing, fuzziness, dissociation. I'm no longer here. And again, those emergent properties are really important to get to know with each client because unless you're in ventral, you cannot be engaged with another. You're biologically unable. Here we are with biology again, right? So, you know, you and I at the moment are are sharing a lovely ventral vagal state because we can do this back and forth and and be engaged only from ventral. Do you use, find yourself using actual brain anatomy, talking about the amygdala, the prefrontal, or do you kind of stay away from that? You know, I, I really, um, so far, have stayed away from it. I really like people to just be in their nervous system. You know, I even stay away from asking questions like, how are you feeling right now? Or, you know, what, what do you think about this? Because I really want them to stay rooted in their nervous system. So I'll often, the question is, so how did that land in your nervous system? Mm -hmm. Or what's your nervous system telling you right now? You know, so of course you have to have some prefrontal in order to answer those questions, but I'm really trying to stay away from all of those connections um, in the beginning. Yeah. Totally. And, and so that's kind of the latter related to danger, but you also described the latter related to safety Mm -hmm. a little bit. I mean, the brilliance of Steve's, you know, early work and of polyvagal is that it outlined not only fight flight, but it told us how that dissociation and disconnect happens. And that is the other end of the vagus nerve. That's the earliest survival response. And the the newest part of the nervous system is the ventral safe, social, connected, which also is vagal. So we have this one nerve that brings us these two extremes of response. So yes, we're trying to shape our system towards getting to ventral and then being able to stay there. And ventral vagal moments, these micro moments are really what we're working with in the beginning. They happen all the time. But if we're not on the lookout for them, we move right by them. And to think about the brain just for a moment, we do have a negativity bias where our brain is set up for survival to pay more attention to negative than positive. And so, you know, we have these micro moments of ventral vagal and we need to notice them. We need to stop and notice and name them and either do that savoring experience, which is like a 20 second staying with, or, you know, I call finding glimmers, you know, and glimmers are those micro moments that come into to real, oh, there's a glimmer. Right? And oftentimes in the beginning of treatment, I'll ask my clients, you know, at the end of the day, can you look back on your day and find three glimmers? Right? Because we often have a day that's, that has a mix of nervous system states, that that's the, that's the norm. Right? We're, we're not always inventional, nor do we want to be. But for many of our clients whose lives are fairly trauma-filled, they don't recognize that, oh, my nervous system also knows ventral. And I tell clients now that I think there's an inherent longing for the nervous system to be in ventral, and it knows how to get there. Mm -hmm. So when we're working, we're just reminding the nervous system of that pathway to ventral. And it knows it. And when it gets there, it wants to stay there. So it's on our side. And for many people, relationships have been the danger place. And so in the beginning, it is pets. You know, that's another, another mammalian system we're connecting with. Pets, nature, music, art have been shown to be pretty predictably activating of this ventral vagal state and of glimmers, you know. So, yeah, we, we look 
we look in those places in the beginning, and then we can turn towards the finding safety with another person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I right. have what I call ventral vagal anchors that in the beginning are, are how I help my clients begin to recognize who are the people, places, you know, in your life. So I do the who, what, where, and when of ventral vagal anchors. And, you know, it's just simply finding one person in the beginning, one person who, when you're around, you feel an invitation to safety and connection. So that's a who. Then a what is, what is something you do, some little thing that, again, feels like it connects to your ventral. And then the where, where is a place. And the where is interesting. It, it may be out in nature. It might be a corner of your house. It might be, you know, your local bookstore, coffee shop. So the where is fascinating to look for. And then the when, you know, when. It is the time of day, the day of the week. So if we can find the who, what, where, when, and have one in each of those categories, then we have something we start to, to build on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Then you have a menu kind mm-hmm. of that you can pull mm-hmm. up even if one or the other one isn't there. And I feel you focusing on that ventral for an important reason. Like you said, that yeah. so yeah. many people, especially people interested in this podcast or mm-hmm. therapists working mm-hmm. with folks, who have had their nervous system just overwhelmed, like you said, with the bias towards looking for danger and being vigilant and being alert. Mm-hmm. There's some, some language also that you used. So earlier when I was talking about like which road you're even on, mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. that you know if you're already kind of in a, it's not that you're perfectly there, mm-hmm. but when you're in a place where that you are, like you said earlier, curious, where you're compassionate, mm-hmm. where you're connected, mm-hmm. that. You can still move up and down the ladder just a little bit, but it's from this, it's almost like self-fulfilling kind of. Yes, because once once you're in ventral, then you tend to see more glimmers. You tend to have more of those experiences because your biology is allowing you to notice them and look for them. When you're in sympathetic or dorsal, it's really hard to see the glimmers. They're still there, but your biology is not letting you look for them. It's keeping you safe by focusing on survival or, or not being here in the first place. So I really think it's important to bring in those moments to savor. You know, I will do that with clients. We'll we'll be in a session and there'll be this hint of a ventral vagal moment. And I'll say, ooh, can we stop there for a minute? It feels like that might be just a moment to recognize and savor. 20 seconds. And then we're right back, you know, in the story. It's just these little drops of ventral that begin to move into the system and then begin to shape it in different ways. You know, Paul Gilbert says, um, little and often is the way change happens. And the nervous system, you know, attunes to that. We do small things often. We don't need a huge ventral vagal experience. We just need these micro moments, but we need to take them in and notice them. So, yeah. Like you're saying, you're not always in ventral vagal, but being able to recognize that you're not and move yourself the ladder, mm-hmm. move yourself into a bit more of a curious mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. that is building the structure. Yes. That yeah. is actually the work. It's not that you're doing it wrong. It's no, actually, that is the work. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And also I think of a long time ago uh, with John Gottman and his research lab, you know, and one of his big findings what had to do with, uh, you know, how many bids for connection and teaching couples to recognize the bid. And so mm-hmm. now I think what we're saying from a polyvagal theory mm-hmm. is like looking for those glimmers yes. and, and yes. catching the glimmer and, ke- and then gl- yes. glimmering back. Or exactly. What exactly. I'll say a lot of times is catching the tail wag 
Yeah, you're talking about reciprocity, right? The back and forth. The, and, and the co-regulation. And the co-regulation. And what I, what I liked about what you said that reminded me that, yes, it, it's not, we're never going to be in ventral all the time, nor do we want to be. That the difference between well-being and dis-ease, if we say it that way, is that my nervous system has a flexibility in being able to come back to ventral. And the difference between health and dis-ease is rigidity of response, right? So a rigid responding nervous system, you know, it's what we do. We, we get pulled into sympathetic or dorsal, we get stuck there. We can't find our way home to ventral. And the work is in finding your way home to ventral, not in not being dysregulated, but in flexibly finding your way home. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, and, and that fits so yeah. much with Dan Siegel's work around yeah. integration mm-hmm. and or even the attachment literature where sure. the, it's yeah. not that someone who is either earned secure, I'm all for right. earned secure because me too. You know, me too. Yep. <laughs> but some of you who got it naturally, mm-hmm. um, it's not that you don't dysregulate, it's that no. like you're saying that there's more of a yeah. flexibility uh, yes. and what did yeah. you say earlier, amount and frequency and duration, you know, you used yeah. also a couple of like, just like curiosity and compassion mm-hmm. and connection. Those are all on one side. I think it's very helpful also to ground the other side because sometimes when we're there, we don't know that we're there. And you used a couple of terms. If we're competing, if uh, we're, the other side, if we're competing. critical or yeah. cri- criticizing, yeah. whether it yeah. be to our, for, of ourselves or to someone yeah. else. Yes. Um, of course, mm-hmm. or if we're collapsed. So, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, because we, we humans compare. That That's how we kind of find our place in the world, it's not a bad thing to compare. What happens if, if I can stay in that state of safety and connection and curiosity, you know, then you and I can compare our lives and our work and it's a delightful experience. If, however, you know, I lose my anchor in ventral and I end up, you know, at first in sympathetic where, you know, I'm beginning to feel there's two comparisons. There's the downward comparison, that competition, I have to be better than you. You know, it's a zero-sum game and I can't lose. Mm-hmm. Or the upward comparison is that place of you're better than I am and I might as well give up now, which takes me to collapse. Mm-hmm. So once I head down that side, that pathway, I need to find a way back to ventral in order for us to be in connection because we've gone out of connection and we're now in a competition rather than collaboration. Another way I like to think of it, particularly related to collapse, is that when we are in, like, again, dissociation or mm-hmm. just really that almost fainting, faint, mm-hmm. falling feelings, mm-hmm. that we typically would need help mm-hmm. to come up. And it might not yeah. look like we jump to ventral vagal. It might actually look like we finally get pissed and exactly. start defending yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, we want to be careful. When someone comes out of that dorsal collapse, they have to come through some mobilization. Yep. And if that mobilization isn't well tended, it does look rather messy. When clients start coming out and, and they'll say, I was so pissed this week at my partner, I often go, yay, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're on your way. You're on your way up. We just have to keep going. Let's not stay there in the pissed off sympathetic. Let's keep coming up to mm-hmm. ventral, yeah. But to recognize it and, and really honor what the nervous system is doing in service of your survival, whether it's, you know, bringing you up the ladder into something that looks a little messy or whether it's taking you to that dorsal, taking a step back and, and disconnecting. Right. The, the curiosity is, again, what are the cues of danger that mm-hmm. you experienced that your nervous system brought you here? And then how do we resolve some of those or reduce them? And then what are the cues of safety 
that your nervous system needs because that is important. It is a both and. It's not only taking care of the cues of danger that helps us come into social engagement and health. It is also actively experiencing cues of safety. Mm -hmm. So the, the question we're always looking at in therapy is bringing explicit awareness to what is an implicit process, right? Those implicit cues of safety and danger are happening all the time. We need to bring them into explicit awareness so we can name them. And then we can say, oh, we can use these. We can either work to resolve the danger and we can bring more cues of safety. And how do we get that out there in the world for you? Yeah. That's great. And again, it's another, you know, insight alone isn't going to do the trick or going into a closet and reading a self-help book. It's going to help in the little ways, but it isn't really going to get you there. Right. Another thing you said in the book that I really liked, because I'm, I'm wanting now to kind of keep grounding it into mm-hmm. real life and like mm-hmm. people just don't let, you know, are kind of letting ventral and dorsal kind of fly over. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll really try to help people find the words associated yeah. with, for them, for their own thing, Absolutely. like in dorsal or in sympathetic. What you did was you paired the word with the opposite word. So do you mind if I share a couple of these? Go for it. This is from Deb Dana's book. It stood out to me because I felt mm-hmm. like, okay, now here's something I can hold on to. Mm-hmm. And for all of you listening, for you to begin to explore, even now with us, what your particular words are and mm-hmm. then what the opposite could be. And it's based on where you are on the ladder. So let's say if we're on the bottom of the ladder, to me, like I think of both in myself and what I hear in, with, for others, it's like the word unwanted, bad, mm-hmm. I'm just bad, shame. What would be the opposite of those mm-hmm. things? Where am I, what am I wanting to do? To be? What's the movement? It's interesting because I ask clients to do this exercise because everybody has a different word to describe, goes to a different place with that. And I learned early on not to make any assumption. I think that's one of the things we know when we're working with the nervous system is to make no assumption. So for me, unwanted, you know, the opposite of that for me, I think the word that I came to when you were saying it was connected. Yes. Right. So what would it be for you? For me, it would be more like wanted right. <laughs> or, right. or desired. Yeah, yeah. Right. right, right. See, yeah. And you, and you know when you reach the right word because your nervous system says, oh, that's it. That's so it. You said wanted or maybe desired. You know, you, you were already starting to play with, ooh, what is exactly the right word? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then a couple more of those because I think these are the mm-hmm. things that are really grounding. Mm-hmm. If you're okay with that. I was thinking in terms of, Okay, so a more activated state, but that's mm-hmm. still dysregulated. Here's mine. That's fine. I'll just do it myself. <laughs> right. Um, yes. Don't, don't count on other people, you know, yep. hyper-independence. Yeah, I go right there with you. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> High five on that one. But it's not dorsal, right? We, we feel like we're fine. No. But, no. Um, yeah. but yeah. there's a problem right. when you When you feel energized, when you feel mobilized, but, you know, that oh, I'm just going to do this myself, has a flavor of danger. It means I can't count on somebody else. I have right. to do it myself. That's your sympathetic nervous system. And, and, you know, the opposite, what would be the opposite for you of I have to be um, independent would be, I don't know what, what would that uh, be for you? Mine would be, you know, so you don't know everything. <laughs> I love um, it. You know, um, like, yeah. uh, there are, you know, I can count yeah. on it's better to have a team there's a lot of people that know more than you (laughs) that's great and I think mine is it's safe to ask for help 
Yes. Right. Yeah. Nice. That, that would be that would be mine. So, and you can feel it when you've got that sympathetic mobilization where I have to do this by myself. It's really hard to reach for. It's safe to ask for help, right? Because mm-hmm. your biology is putting distance between where you are and that ability to say, oh, it's safe to ask for help. So the work is how do I get a toehold in ventral so that it is safe to ask for help, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, we were talking about navigating the hierarchy. When we have an anchor in ventral, we can then go visit sympathetic and dorsal without being hijacked by it which really is the work we do with clients, but it's the work we do in our life because already today, you know, I've had a few opportunities to navigate down the ladder, as I'm sure you may have as well. And as long as I, you know, had that toehold in mm-hmm. ventral, I could feel it, I could be with it, I could say, oh, okay, my nervous system's attempting to help me, you know, make it through this messy experience at the moment and engage with my system differently. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Like, so my version was right before we came on, mm-hmm. uh, we are in a storm here. I'm on the Texas coast right now. And what that means is that the house is whistling. <laughs> so where I'd set up to record, I mean, it was so loud. It's, the whole house was kind of moving. Uh-huh. A little, and it was the loudest whistle. And I kept thinking, okay, can our editor get that? Out? Like I, <laughs> And I, you know, my yeah. heart's starting to go and I'm like, oh no, I, he's not going to be able to erase Ooh. this listening. And so right. then like right before we got on, I'm running around the house trying to listen of like the, the place. <laughs> but at the same time, like you're saying, it's mm. like, I was, I had kind of a humor to it. I was yes. like, well, yeah. you know, what's the worst thing? So people will hear a bit of a storm. That's okay. That's what happens at the Texas coast. <laughs> Apparently. Yes. And the only way you could do that was because you had some ventral energy in your system. And I'll tell you part of why is because yeah. we had we had met before, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I had I really just had this confidence that yeah. it would go well, and you know we, that we would have ease with one another. But I can't imagine if I didn't know you, or if I had a, mm-hmm. a more frightening experience with you, yes. my yes. stress level would have been much much higher. Yeah, and that's a great way to to think about that because you and I, our nervous systems had exchanged cues of safety before. You know, we had this autonomic experience of of connection so today it felt like you know, your nervous system remembered that and thought oh this is you know going to be we'll figure it out right. you're right if we had had you know an experience of autonomic danger a, a rupture that brought those danger then today would have been a different experience for both of us absolutely mm-hmm. Just as we kind of wrap a little bit, if we could like really kind of focus on the what can we leave our audience with that is going to be the most helpful, the most practical. Mm. No pressure there, but <laughs> no pressure there. Yeah, I was just thinking, huh? I'm yeah. That that's a well. I have a thought. Just while you're getting your thoughts, yeah, that's okay. yeah, please just give you a second there. I just want to go back to these single words to kind of find yourself mm-hmm. on the ladder mm-hmm. and. These are just notes that I had taken. One of the things you had said that if you're in sympathetic or kind of on that path, one of the, like, and I just related to this, like you feel disrespected, then in lower down, it might be, again, I'm not saying that this is what everybody feels, mm-hmm. but what the idea would be to find your, your mm-hmm. own map and your own experience, yes. both when you begin to activate, which might be, what, are you talking to me that way? <laughs> or just whatever that is. But if you're dropping 
that the energy goes lower mm-hmm. and it might be more total, like whether it be the unwanted or lonely mm-hmm. or isolated. There's no, I'm alone in the world. Yeah. And with yeah. ventral vagal, I think there's a feeling of being understood, mm-hmm. being seen, being, being a part of, being mm-hmm. a part of belonging. Mm-hmm. That's a good mm-hmm. word. You know, one of the things I do, because ventral, sympathetic, and dorsal are not exactly the most user-friendly words, although I do love the biology, I ask people to name their three states, which is really a helpful thing as we get to know. So, you know, I was teaching last week, and we were using weather terms, and, and, you know, somebody was sunny was their ventral, stormy was their sympathetic, and foggy was their dorsal. Oh, I love that. That is wonderful. I have actually really wanted to shift the language on this because it is mm-hmm. so heady, you know. So what would yours be? Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. I was, I don't know, but I will tell you I did a playlist. Oh, you did? Oh, yep. I did a music playlist and it was so fun. And part of this too is being able to even relish some of these dysregulated yep. states. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So, and music is a way to do that. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. And by the way, again, these are kind of take-home tips. Using your voice, whether that be humming or mm-hmm. singing, mm-hmm. is a way to activate in both this, the ears, but also your tone and your pitch. The prosody of voice is what another nervous system is, is taking in. There's a lovely thought that it's intonation before information, that oh. your nervous system doesn't listen to what someone is saying until it feels invited in by the intonation of the voice, right? So we're sending cues of safety or danger through our tone of voice. So if you're in a dysregulated state and you're conveying that through your prosody, the other nervous system, the other person is probably not going to be listening to what you're saying. That's right. Or they will be listening with their neuroception. (laughs) And wanting to get out of there or fight one or the other. Exactly. Just not believing it, right. Yeah, one of the exercises that I have done before is basically like take a phrase, I've used a, I'm sorry, and then you kind of hear it or say it from mm-hmm. each of the states, from Absolutely. Dorsal. Yeah. You know, it sounds really different from it sounds very different. The sympathetic, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. But, but then you can feel it as you move up the chain and when we are more connected and we feel safer mm-hmm. There's really a way. You almost don't even have to say the words, but mm-hmm. if you were to say the word, because they'll feel it, they'll see it in your eyes. Um, you know, but when you say it, it's believable. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you're talking about don't have to say it, and each nervous system has its own request for repair, right? So my nervous system might really want you to say, I'm sorry, and I might want to hear it. Another nervous system might want to have you show it instead. And another nervous system might simply want to look at your face and and feel it. So again, you know, each nervous system is shaped differently for how it wants to come back in repair and with whom and about what specific rupture. So the curiosity again is what does that nervous system need in this moment to come back into repair, to come back into connection? And it's important that we keep asking that question, right? Because it changes, I love that. And again, that question is already, you know, it's already safe and you're just now exploring. Mm-hmm. And thank heavens mm-hmm. that we have this neural Wi-Fi <laughs> because then we don't have to sort of memorize anything about someone else. Mm-hmm. It will emerge in the moment, yeah. Yeah. It'll kind of come up in the moment. And if it doesn't, oh, th- there's this also this notion of being in the presence of someone that stays in ventral vagal, that in and of itself really can help people up the ladder. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that as a therapist, that is my responsibility. It's my responsibility to be regulated and to be a regulating resource for my clients. And if we want to expand that a bit, it's my responsibility as a partner, as a parent, as a friend, as a citizen of the world to regulate and offer that regulation to others. So, you know, when we look through the lens of the nervous system, we understand it in a different way. It's your biology needs to regulate so that you you are offering cues of safety to others and they can then regulate as well. And it doesn't mean that you can't use anger. I was thinking of our mm-hmm. uh, political system or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. fighting for things mm-hmm. larger than ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that still can be a mobilized, healthy response. Mm-hmm. But without ventral vagal, mm-hmm. you know, at least we are connected to ourselves and connected to what we're doing and we're going to be able to be more effective right. even in protest or... Right. I can I can stand my ground. I can be very clear. I can be firm. That doesn't mean all syrupy sweet. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it just means that I feel safe enough to put myself out there in the world in this way and to make demands that I expect to be met, right? You can feel it. But if you do that from sympathetic, from a place where you're feeling danger or fear, if there are cues of danger in your system, then it's a very different experience. And when I make a demand, your system is going to fight back, right? If I make a demand, a request from ventral, we can have a conversation about it. Yeah, and because, you know, part of it is there's a little bit of vulnerability. And then that turns on my nurturing versus if you're making a demand, Mm -hmm then I'm more likely to, you know, chest bump you (laughs) or or feel a little challenged or, you know, like go into a little bit of sympathetic. It's like, what's happening? Right. Or don't want to be around me. Say, no, I don't don't want to deal with this. That's the the flight response that is also sympathetic. Yeah. Right. Because I can hear the danger in if it's a demand, it's like do this or else, even if Mm -hmm. you're not saying that. And that's where the the danger comes in. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh no, our connection Mm -hmm. is threatened. Right. And, you know, once we leave ventral, it becomes us and them, right? In ventral, there's a oneness. We're, we're all part of the human community, right? Once I go to sympathetic, I'm against you. You, you are an enemy. You are no longer a friend, right? And, and as you know, extreme as that sounds, on the nervous system level, that's what happens. We're, we're oh, no definitely. Longer, it happens in a flash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So not a lot gets done cooperatively, from that state because I see you as a danger to me. And then in dorsal, you don't exist, right? In dorsal, you know, I'm, I'm alone in the world. There is no other being. So, you know, an equally terrifying place in a different way. Yeah, and it's important not to misinterpret that mm-hmm. as aggression. It's funny. It's like, yes, we can pout or we can withdraw mm-hmm. or we can... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're a little bit more sympathetic and you can kind of feel that mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. going boneless, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. really um, mm-hmm. dropping out, losing yeah. someone's eyes, that kind of yes. thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. And again, on our end, if we're the regulated system in the room, to be curious about what just happened and to not make meaning of it. You know, I was working with someone who's, you know, was in the substance abuse world and relapse. We think about relapse mm-hmm. to not make meaning you know, that says you didn't try hard enough, you didn't want it hard enough, you, didn't, you haven't reached bottom yet. It's a nervous system that dysregulated and the emergent properties of that dysregulation were, you know, whatever happened, right? So somehow we want to make story and we need to make the autonomic story, not the motivational story. 
Well, I love that. And one more takeaway that I was just thinking about that I have also loved is if you don't know what to do, yes, <laughs> yes. If, if you're in trouble, <laughs> go social. <laughs> go social. <laughs> yeah, whether that be to yourself, mm-hmm. like, wow, Sue, did, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Think, Mm-hmm. like ask for help reach out text you know <laughs> for me you'll appreciate this often my go social is to send a text yes. you know, that's, that's the most I can do I cannot tolerate tone of voice I cannot tolerate being out there in in eye contact but text is is my best friend and I have a certain circle of friends who I'll send a text and I get an emoji back it's all I need yep yes. just an emoji that's all I need yeah that yes. is exactly right when we are disconnected, we're only, we're subject to our ghosts, just we're generating things internally. So yeah. we're not going to read kindness in. Yeah. So emojis are so, I sometimes think I wish I had, like, we could generate emojis around our head, you yes. know, to, like really signal, like, it's okay. There wasn't yeah. sarcasm in my voice, I promise. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> but also because it's so comforting. It's like, it's, yeah. a, it's a little bit of a yeah. thumbs up, like everything's yeah. okay. And again, it shows us that we're looking for the right degree of connection because if I'm in that place and, and you come and you bring your, your wonderful ventral vagal, my system may go, ooh, too much. Yeah. Can you sit over there and just send me an emoji? Put one over your head so I can <laughs> see it. That's all, I, that's all I need right now. So again, to really be curious about what does your nervous system need right now because I can show up and offer it, but I need to know what it is that would be most helpful. And again, it's an example of how individualized it is. And so Mm -hmm. speaking of individualized, we've got a whole bunch of people listening. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope for each of you, if you can kind of begin to get a feel for what those three states look like, Mm -hmm. how you know you're in them, what are your automatic negative thoughts, and then what is it that you want to think? And so maybe we can wrap up on, you know, just going back to that you're wanted, Mm -hmm. that you're valuable, that you're heard, Mm -hmm. that you're seen. Mm -hmm. And to yes. be sure and find that in your community right, in whatever way that you can. And when we find it, when we feel it, we then offer it back in return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's contagious. The other it stuff is. is contagious too. Yes, but, it is. But so, mm-hmm. but so yeah. is ventral vagal. Absolutely. <laughs> I like to think that ventral vagal energy is an unopposable force. And if you're listening and you don't necessarily in your community have the means or the capacity to reach out to someone professionally or to reach out to have a safe person, we do have a relationship with a group that it's called a good help. And if you type mm-hmm. in goodhelp.com backslash therapist uncensored, it's international. They work on a sliding scale with that code of therapist uncensored. You're going to get some free therapy. Mm-hmm. They're professionals. They've been vetted. You know, obviously, if you can go face-to-face and in person, definitely. But we are heard in 172 countries. Mm. So people aren't necessarily, both culturally and financially and just access, have that yeah. capacity. So we really want you to use that. Again, it's goodhelp.com backslash therapist uncensored. So that way, everybody who's listening will be able to find that connection. That is really a, a, a wonderful gift that you're offering. Oh, thank you. And you're, one, you're offering such a wonderful gift. I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you're on the tour. Is there anything mm-hmm. coming up that you want to tell our listeners about? Oh, Lord, I seem to be all over the place. So summer, summer is going to be a nice time to go Cape Cod, go to Kapalu. I think I'm most excited about some of the places I haven't been yet and we'll be going traveling around the world so and just got the mock-up cover for my next book which is quite exciting so 
you know, sort of keep going out there trying to help people have more more um, oh, that's wonderful. To, to shape the nervous system. So yeah. is there a hint? Is there a hint about your next book? Uh, skills for therapists and clients to create safety and connection really comes out of the belief that it's not just in the therapy session, but between the therapy session that we need to be. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's right. nervous systems. Oh, that's great. Cause a lot of the skills are free, <laughs> you know, and they they're are free. Really yes. <laughs> yes. So yes. that's awesome. Well, you know, maybe we'll, uh, you can roll back around when you do that work and we'll, we'll be great. Uh, talk about it in a little bit more detail. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So if uh, folks were looking for you, mm-hmm. how might they find you? My website, rhythmofregulation.com. Everything's there. You can, you know, recorded interviews. This one will be there when it gets posted. There's the beginner's guide to body vagal theory. You can download that for free on the website. Um, Great. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. um, I think you had sent that to us before. Yeah. And so if it's okay, we'll post that in the show Absolutely. notes. Yeah. And you Absolutely. can just backslash episodes and that's then you can see all the episodes and you'll see this one and then you click on there and then you'll get all of these resources Mm -hmm. you're going to get links to the books if you want to see those books again particularly the one we've been talking about so we've been talking about polyvagal theory and therapy engaging the rhythm of regulation there it is yes it is a very practical um book really and even though it's written for clinicians i have a lot of people in the world who are not clinicians who email me and say oh i I'm using your map. I'm I'm doing this with my with my partner. So it's it's pretty user friendly. It really, really is. And there's so many people that listen to this podcast too that listen for their own reasons or for their yes. family or just because they're lifelong learners and just mm-hmm. love continuing to grow. Yeah. So um, that yeah. is so wonderful to get out of the choir, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. Well, thank you so much, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. And let's do uh, that. Really appreciate your generosity. Oh, thank you. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.